from that time of praise this morning. What a great song on Thanksgiving weekend to be singing, God's Faithfulness. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Romans chapter 5 this morning, please. A couple of weeks ago, I should mention, um, last week, Cynthia and I were in Cincinnati for the weekend, had a great time away. Uh, My former boss that I worked for in Jupiter, Florida, um, had offered to provide a weekend for Cynthia and I away in his hometown. It's where he grew up, and so we spent the weekend there. But coming back, I had the privilege of listening to Pastor Wayne preach his sermon last week, and I do want to express our appreciation for you opening God's Word for us. And um, it's so great to be able to go away and have people come to the pulpit and know that they're going to present God's word accurately and uh, spur us on in our spiritual walk with God. A couple of weeks ago, uh, actually on Thursday, October 3rd, Dan DeWitt and I had the opportunity to travel together to Heritage College and Seminary for the 2019 Preaching Lectures. Uh, This year it featured Dr. Winford Neely, Professor of Biblical Preaching at Uh, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. I've attended several of these over the years. And as per the normal pattern, Dr. Rick Reed, the president of Heritage College and Seminary, got up at the lunch break and invited all the participants who belonged to partner churches to join him for lunch. Uh, The rest of us were released for the next hour and a half to find some place to eat. And Dan and I walked over to Peter Pit. (laughs) But my curiosity was piqued. So when I returned to the pastor's study here at the church after our time away, I decided to investigate what was involved in becoming a partner church. Like, who doesn't want a free lunch? (laughs) Part of what I found on their website included a list titled, Benefits of Becoming a Partner Church. There's a list of 11 of them. Let me just give you a few. It begins, to forge and sustain a meaningful partnership in training servant leaders for ministry we choose to uphold the following commitments to our partner churches. Partner church scholarships for the college, $3,000. Seminary bursaries, discounts of 25%. Matching college scholarships up to $1,400. So if we have students going to Heritage from our church, the church is willing to put in up to $700, the school will match that up to the amount of $1,400. They provide experienced counsel to churches for establishing and overseeing an effective internship program. They offer ongoing ministry resources for pastoral ministry and staff of partner churches. Two-for-one tickets for all on-site conferences. Dan and I can go for half price next year. 
ongoing access to Heritage Library, free use of our resident facilities for pastoral studies, study retreats during the summer months, and there's others. But this list of benefits presents the advantages for all those that participate in partner churches. It also lets non-partner churches know what they're missing so that maybe they will sit and consider becoming a partner church. Will the Rock Community Church become a partner church of heritage, college, and seminary? Well, that's a question for the Elders Council. But here, in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul presents not a list of benefits for partner churches, but a list of benefits for all those who have been justified by faith or who have been made right in God's sight by faith. Now, just because you're a partner church does not mean that you'll take advantage of all these benefits. But Partner churches can never say that they didn't know about the benefits. They're all listed here on the website. Here in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul clearly articulates the benefits that belong to all those who have been justified by faith. It's our habit here at the Rock Community Church to celebrate the Lord's Supper on the second Sunday of every month. And so over the next few months, as we come to this, these Sundays where we are preparing to participate at the table of the Lord, we're going to be making our way through this fifth chapter of the book of Romans. And this morning we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Some of you may know that the first number of chapters of Romans present the need for justification, our need to be made right with God. In chapters 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul is talking about sin. In fact, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, provides a great summary statement for those first three chapters. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Beloved, that's a problem. All of us, without exception, are sinners, alienated from God. In a sense, you could say that we are God's official opposition. Not because of what we've done, but because of who we are. We are sinners by nature. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That is what the Bible teaches. In fact, we sin, the fact that we sin only serves to prove who we really are. Sinners who are separated and alienated from God by our very nature. 
That is where the book of Romans begins. We have a problem. And the problem is us. At the end of chapter 3 and then on into chapter 4, the Apostle Paul explains the remedy for sinners comes through faith in Christ Jesus for all those who believe. Chapter 3, verse 22. In other words, we can be justified or made right in God's sight by believing that Jesus Christ was God dressed in human flesh. That he came to earth and lived an absolutely perfect life. He died a horrible death and was buried and on the third day rose from the grave proving that that sacrifice of his life was acceptable in God's sight. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18 is absolutely clear. For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, the perfect for the imperfect, the righteous for the unrighteous, the one who knew no sin for all those who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so that he might bring us safely home to God, so that we might be justified by faith, so that we might be made right in his sight by believing that Jesus was who he claimed to be, did what the scriptures say he did, and will do what he promised he will do. When we have the faith to believe that, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, explains the exchange that takes place. He made him, that is, God made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Unbelievable. The New, the New Living Translation reads, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. My sin, your sin, becomes the sin for which Christ died. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. That, my friends, is the doctrine of justification. By faith, we are made right in God's sight, justified. Please stand with me if you're able for the reading from God's word this morning. Romans chapter 5, and I'm just going to read verses 1 through to the end of verse 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, 
but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that the tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. This is God's word to us today. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this written revelation. As we listen to it, read it, study it, memorize it, ponder it. Teach us, we pray. And transform us from the inside out so that your thoughts become our thoughts. So that our actions and reactions become increasingly accurate reflections of your character. Thank you for this opportunity to prepare to participate in the Lord's Supper. A practice that is to be a continual reminder, instituted by Jesus himself, of that demonstration of your love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Use this passage in Romans chapter 5 to help us to grasp the benefits that come as a result of having been justified by faith. May they prepare us to participate in the Lord's Supper and fill us with a whole new sense of gratitude on this Thanksgiving weekend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Belief has its benefits. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been justified by faith, benefit number one is that we have peace with God. And notice it's peace with God, not the peace of God. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, many of us have these verses memorized. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is not what the Apostle Paul is referring to here in Romans chapter 5. He's not speaking of that sense of calm that replaces the, the worry and the anxiety, the, the fear and the discouragement. Prayer can do that. And that's a valuable kind of peace, for sure. But that is not what the Apostle Paul is referring to here in Romans chapter 5. Here he's speaking of peace with God, which would then suggest that prior to being made right in God's sight or being justified by faith, we are not at peace with God. In fact, the scriptures 
clearly teach we are enemies of God. James chapter 4, verse 4. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Children of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 3. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. In other words, just like everyone else, prior to being justified by faith. So the opposite of having peace with God is to be under the wrath of God. And I know that we don't like to talk about this God of wrath. God is love. But he's also a God of wrath. And unbelievers are not only enemies of God. God is the enemy of of unbelievers. He hates sin. And so, unless we repent of our sin and ask God to forgive us on the basis of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross at Calvary, we are inviting the wrath of God on our lives. If we die having not responded appropriately to God's demonstration of love for us, we will spend eternity in a place called hell. A place of torment reserved for all those who refuse to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Hell would be the ultimate expression of God's wrath. Look down the page at Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, through Jesus, through his accomplishment on the cross. For if while, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Reconciliation. Peace with God. Having been justified by, by faith, we have peace with God. Belief has its benefits. Look at verse 2. Through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this great grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope the glory of God. What's the benefit here? Benefit number two. We stand in God's grace. And notice it's an introduction into the grace. What's that tell us? Think of an introduction to a book. The trailer to a movie. How about those samples at the end of the row in Costco? Or maybe a test drive of a car. They give us a taste of what we will read if we continue on to invest a, or if we invest a couple of hours in a movie or if we buy the product that we're sampling or if we actually purchase a brand new car. Introductions are like the tip of the iceberg. They expose us to a representative piece of something much bigger. Having been justified by faith, we are introduced. It just gives us a taste of this inexhaustible grace of God. Listen to this rhetorical question found in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? All things. That's grace. Having been justified by faith, we have just scratched the surface of the riches of his grace which he lavished on us, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound in you and in me. We have attained our introduction. In the New International Version, it's translated, we have gained access by faith into his grace. New Living Translation reads, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. That's exactly what grace is. Undeserved privilege. God gives us, gifts us with, with privileges, opportunities, resources, relationships, advantages, forgiveness, even entitlements that we don't deserve and we could never earn. Notice that last phrase, where we now stand. 
There's a sense of permanence here. We're now standing in this sphere of God's grace or undeserved privilege. And the Apostle Paul, Peter, ends his first epistle with these words. Through Silvanus, or probably Silas, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. I've written to you briefly, exhorting you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it! Exclamation mark. Don't be looking around for alternative solutions. Quick fixes or self-help remedies. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Immerse yourself in the living and active Word of God and stand firm in His grace. No matter what is happening around us or to us or in us, that place of undeserved privilege, we want to be found standing firm in God's grace. James talks about the one who, who doubts as being like a surf of the sea. You have to live in Jupiter, Florida for a couple of years to appreciate this metaphor. Driven and tossed by the wind, James 1.6. That would be the opposite of standing firm. Colossians chapter 2 comes to mind. It is always been a favorite of mine, a reference that I became familiar with because of the navigators. They used it to label one of their intensive discipleship curriculums, the 2-7 program. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7 reads, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. New Living Translation reads, Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. That's how we stand firm in God's grace. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And we stand firm in his grace. Belief has benefits. Look again at the end of verse 2. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Having been justified by faith, we exult in the hope of the glory of God. The Greek word translated exult in the New American Standard Bible is translated rejoice in the ESV and boast in the New International Version. I think the New Living Translation is trying to take and capture all of these concepts when it translates the, that last phrase as, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. By the way, the tense used here indicates that this is intended to be a, an ongoing thing, a continuing celebration fueled by that 
anticipation of a future glory. So our justification, having been made right in God's sight, allows us to look forward with confidence, with hope, celebrating what awaits us. And in this case, the light at the end of the tunnel is not the headlight of a freight train, but in fact, is the glory of God. That's what awaits us, each and every one of us. Benefit number three, we are looking forward to winning. The Apostle Paul was exalting in the hope of the glory of God for the believers at the church in the city of Philippi when he wrote these words. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And then there's also that benediction near the end of the book of Jude, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great hope and joy. Indeed, Jesus himself set quite an example, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God because he was looking forward with anticipation to that glory. Follow in his steps. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 encourages us. We too have a joy set before us when we will no longer need to be concerned about falling short of the glory of God. We will be perfect and complete, lacking absolutely nothing. Near the end of his letter, Peter wrote these words of assurance to believers who were actually scattered all over the known world because of persecution for their faith. He wrote this, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. So having been justified by faith, we're playing on the winning team. We have peace with God. We stand firm in his grace. And we look forward to winning. Belief does have its benefits. Now look at verses 3 and 4. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope, well, let's leave that for a moment. Benefit number four. We embrace life's troubles. Beloved, it's good to know that these benefits of justification are not just for the sweet by and by, but they are actually for the nasty here and now. John chapter 16, you'll remember that Jesus was in that upper room with his 12 disciples on the night, on the very night that he was going to be betrayed. He warned his most intimate ministry companions that these things I have spoken to you 
so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Then later that evening, as he walks through the dusty streets of the city of Jerusalem towards the Garden of Gethsemane, he began to pray. And he prayed first for himself, and then he prayed for the remaining 11 disciples. And this is what he prayed. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus knew that troubles, tribulation, were an inescapable reality of life. You and I, we live in a less than perfect world, populated by less than perfect people, surrounded and immersed in less than perfect circumstances. Tribulation, trouble, is unavoidable. Death, illness, aging, financial pressures, relational breakdowns, bullies and swindlers. Folks, they're, they're unavoidable. We we cannot escape. The word translated, tribulation, is actually a very strong word. It comes from a family of words that speaks of refinement, of ore, getting rid of all the dross so that the ore is pure. It does not refer to minor inconveniences of life, like a flat tire or whatever, but real hardships. And the Apostle Paul knew all about those. Writing to the believers in the city of Corinth, he described his life as an apostle. Listen to the kinds of tribulations which he himself had become so familiar. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Apostle Paul knew what he was talking about when he used that word tribulation. Jesse Love lent me a book a number of weeks ago. In fact, I finished it a number of weeks ago and haven't returned it. But uh, it's a short biography on Roland Bingham. There's Bingham movers here in town. We might be familiar with those. You know Roland? He was born in 1872, and he died in 1942. Let me read from the back of the book. The thought of a land with not one Christian and not one missionary haunted Roland. 
Images of cannibals and slaves pushed away sleep. And the stranger's words, Are you prepared to go if God calls you? Echoed over and over as he turned in his bed. He was Roland Bingham. Was Roland Bingham willing to go to the Sudan? Where white men nearly always died. At age 20, Roland Bingham committed himself to serving not only in Africa, known as the white man's grave, but in Africa's Sudan interior, where few missionaries have ventured, and those who did soon died of disease or retreated in defeat. His first trip to Africa, he went with two other young men his own age. They didn't return. Roland Bingham is the founder of SIM, Sudan Interior Mission. Fascinating book. And as I read it, I just was astounded. I guess there were two takeaways. Number one, I need to read more biographies of men like this. And secondly, boy, are we soft. Unbelievable. The level of commitment and willingness to make personal sacrifices in an effort to live an obedient Christian life both convicted and inspired me. We live in the midst of such prosperity. And I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. But I do think living in the midst of such prosperity is the toughest place in the world to live a God-honoring life. And partly because prosperity helps us to escape life's tribulations. And if not escape entirely, at least it gives us a safe spot to land. And the result, our spiritual development is undermined and impaired, and we remain spiritual babies, soft. James chapter two, verse James chapter one, verses two and five reads: Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Hardships, tribulations can be catalysts for our spiritual growth. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We stand firm in his grace. We look forward to winning and we embrace life's troubles as growth opportunities. Belief has its benefits. Now look at verse 5. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Benefit number five, we are recipients of God's generous love. God's love for us is not fickle, nor is it a trickle. It is poured out within our hearts. The idea here is that God's love has been and continues to be poured out into our hearts. 
Eugene Peterson's interpretive translation of this verse paints a picture for us. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives. Let me read that again. We cannot round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. So God's love is communicated through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who indwells each and every genuine believer. Romans chapter 8 verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. Beloved, this spirit that indwells us now testifies with our spirit that we are indeed the children of God and therefore recipients of this generous and continuing love of God. But that doesn't mean that we'll always feel it. Feelings are unreliable at the best of times. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 offers the anchor for our souls. In this we love. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that was why this Lord's Supper is such a significant and important reminder. Christ died for you. And he died for me. To be the propitiation for our sins. He paid the price for our sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 states it clearly. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let us participate this morning with a renewed appreciation for all that God has provided for each one of us who have been justified by faith. Belief has its benefits. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We stand firm in his grace. We look forward to winning. We embrace life's troubles. And we are recipients, always, of God's generous love. Happy Thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, we have so much for which we can be thankful. It is good for us to be reminded of the benefits that are ours, not because we deserve them or have somehow earned them, but because of the relationship we enjoy with you as a result of Jesus' accomplishments on our behalf. May we not be like the nine healed lepers who went merrily on their way, but rather 
May we be like the one who turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice and falling on his face at Jesus' feet. He gave thanks to him. And not just for a weekend, but create in us a spirit of gratitude. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.